Welcome to a soundless, musicless Oncofarm pod. Uh, I'm your host, John Bazaar, professor of pharmacy practice at the supporting sponsor of Oncofarm, uh, East Tennessee State University's Bill Gadden College of Pharmacy, where I kid you not, there was a bear running around campus today. But that is not the reason we don't have music. My external hard drive that houses, well, all of my professional life is not working right now. Uh, and it better be working or else, you know, I, I have to find a new job. Uh, so anyway, uh, going to keep this quick today uh, and have a really uh, just intriguing, fascinating study to talk about. And that is the memoir uh, study, uh, which was published in Lancet Oncology Online uh, this week. This is effective immunotherapy time of day infusion on overall survival among patients with advanced melanoma. Uh, in uh, in the USA, and really it's more uh, in uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. So this is um, basically asking uh, the question: Does it matter what time of day you get your immunotherapy, your immune checkpoint inhibitors in in metastatic melanoma? Now this is based off of some relatively old uh, clinical and preclinical work. Uh, so, for example, there's a, a 1993 study looking at the circadian rhythm effects of when you give either interleukin-2 or interferon uh, on mouse tumors. And there was uh, some suggestion uh, that if you give it when the sun is out during the day when people are usually up and awake, um, so using that circadian rhythm that there were greater effects. There are also differences in, in vaccine response based on time of day. So whether it's BCG uh, vaccine, influenza, hepatitis A, there are blunted immune responses when those vaccines are given in the evening. So there's kind of this, this theory that I did not know about. Let's not call it a theory. Let's call it a hypothesis. Hypothesis that the immune system uh, was, was better activated during the day than the evening. So the hypothesis that they're looking at here is if you got your immunotherapy later in the day, would you have decreased overall survival? So this was done by researchers at, at Emory, um, the Winship Cancer Institute in Atlanta, Georgia. And anytime something comes out of there, as a pharmacist, I want to see is, is Donald Harvey a, an author, a co-author? And he is. Uh, and this seems to be a pretty well done study. Uh, interesting study though. So let's go through this. So they're looking at uh, people who either got nivolumab, pembrolizumab, uh, or ipilimumab at Emory, and they did a, a, a per, uh, basically a matched cohort analysis, 73 patients in each arm, uh, divided by those who received more than 20% of the refusion after 4.30 p.m. and those who didn't. Uh, clinic there, they say, is open until 6 p.m., you know, so Nevo and Pembro, 30-minute infusions, Ippies, 90, so most of these folks probably are getting, um, when you look at the, the most commonly used drug here, um, was single-agent Pembro, uh, then single agent IPI, then single agent NEVA. Actually, combination was almost half uh, of either a PD-1 uh, inhibitor and, uh, and ipilimumab. This study goes back almost eight to 10 years of patients that they were following here in this registry. So they're looking at, do they get it later in the day or earlier in the day? Uh, now, clinic is open until six, all right? So 4.30 would be close to, close to closing time. This is a propensity-matched scoring analysis. Um, Interestingly, there were 152 patients not included in the analysis that got most of their drug before, uh, before 4:30. Uh, they were, um, you know, they were pretty well matched by by staging, by risk factors, by BRAF status, 
uh, other prognostic factors. Prior radiation, the radiation therapist or radiation oncologist, sorry, radiation oncologist who actually designed uh, this idea. So they do look at radiation therapy receipt uh, as well as, as a big thing here. So this is what's really interesting is that there was a statistically significant worse overall survival if more than 20% of your Nevo, your Pembro, uh, Ippy, or combination uh, was, was given after 4 p.m., after 4.30 p.m. Um, and they, this statistically significant worse in, you know, survival, if you got it closer to dusk, uh, held up in the unmatched analysis, in the propensity score matched, whether they adjusted or unjusted. Uh, they did four different analyses. All four of them ended up being statistically significant with, with hazard ratios in really no particular order of 2, 2.16, 1.69, 1 1.8. So you're talking hazard ratios, you know, getting close to 2, uh, where we're almost, uh, you know, si you know, pretty significantly increasing the risk uh, of uh, of death if you get your your immunotherapy later in the day. Uh, the five-year overall survival uh, was estimated in those folks who got their their uh, their ICI their checkpoint very late in the day to be 49%. That's pretty darn good for metastatic melanoma. Like half of them alive five years later. But if you got uh, most of your drug or all of your drug before 4:30, uh, that five-year survival rate. Uh, was 68%. That's really good. That is really good. Um, there is one curious finding here. And if you look in this, the forest plot and the subgroup analysis, almost all of this difference in efficacy based on day, time of day administration uh, was seen in females where the hazard ratio was 13. It's a 13-fold higher risk uh, of death if you're female and you get your, your Ipi, your Pembro, your Nevo, or Ipi and combination of Nevo-Pembro after 430 13-fold risk. Um, interesting. Very interesting here. Um, which, you know, maybe is a little tough to explain here. Another thing that's a little tough to explain here, these are monoclonal antibodies, right? They're, they're, they're immunoglobulins. They, they have long half-lives, so why should it matter the time of day? And, and there is, the authors do cite a study that, uh, you know, the, the combination of, I think, is pembrolizumab uh, peaks in the lymph nodes within 30 minutes, so maybe there's a peak effect, uh, which certainly there's some precedent in other drugs, whether it's, uh, you know, cell cycle nonspecific agents maybe having different effects if you give them as, as a bolus dose, uh, same thing like aminoglycosides that are peak or, and concentration dependent killer. So that's maybe, okay, maybe plausible. Um, but the, the female thing is a little interesting. It's a small study. It's 73 in each arm. You got to ask yourself, is this signal? Or is this noise, right? If this is signal, then there would be something compelling here. And the most compelling thing apart that, besides the the you know the the relatively big uh, difference difference here uh, in survival outcomes, is that we do have uh, you know some some baseline science suggesting why this would be, which probably makes us more likely to buy into it than if we didn't have that. Um, or is this noise, okay? And and right now, I, I, I don't know if it's signal or it's noise. Um, so I've got a couple thoughts about this. So one, this should be pretty easy to confirm. Now, another thing that, let me back up a second. Another reason that maybe I think this is signal is they're looking at, you know, the circadian rhythm and how, you know, as the sun goes down, you know, maybe your immune system slows down, sort of a thing, all right? Well, clinics up until six in Atlanta here at Emory, and you know, this time of year, sunset is at 5.30. Uh, in March, sunset is at 7.45. Uh, 
in June 845 and in August 830. So even at the darkest part of the winter, which would be now and in the next month, you know, clinic is still closing. The sunset is at five. They actually, to their credit, the author's credit, they looked at time of year that you started immunotherapy and they did a, 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 a yeoman's work of sensitivity analysis to see if this data held up. And it certainly looks like what we're seeing is what they saw there. Is that just a signal, that just an artifact of the types of patients? Uh, maybe these are patients that work during the day uh, or they have lower performance status, they don't, they don't have the social support, so they have to wait for someone to drive them and bring them to clinic later in the day. Who knows things that you can't, you can't you know, extract from, from the medical record and analyze? So, um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if this is real, but I'll say this. One, it should be easy to confirm, okay? Um, I, I think about when I was uh, in residency uh, in 2007, 2009 at a medical university of South Carolina, we would get these consults, pharmacy-to-dose, VANC, and aminoglycosides for our sepsis patients. In the ICU, you know how we treated those, these folks? We double covered pseudomonas, so they were on Vank and Piperacillin-Tazobactam and, and Amigalicoside, and we liked it. We loved it. We were dosing the heck out of some Vank and some Tobramycin, and yes, we were worried about the nephrotoxicity of Vank and Tobramycin. What we weren't worried about that time was any added nephrotoxicity from adding Vancomycin with Piperacillin-Tazobactam, which now we know is pretty well established, as I understand the ID literature, which I do not know as well as the oncology literature, it's a pretty well-established risk factor for nephrotoxicity and, and acute kidney injury is VANC plus Piptazo. When I was a student resident, that data was not there, and these were drugs that had been around for a while. And so eventually, as I remember it, there was a study like this memoir study. There was a single-center retrospective cohort analysis case control study that looked at VANC plus with Piptazo versus VANC with Cefepime or VANC with Mirapim or other beta-lactam. And you know, there was more nephrotoxicity, and it was compelling and intriguing. It's like, eh, is this signal or noise? I don't know. People probably thought we've been using Vank and Piptaser together. Not any problem. No reason to change practice. Good antibiotics. Well, then every other center did the same type of study, and lo and behold, there was a clear trend, and what we thought was noise became signal, and there really was something to this nephrotoxicity, and now it's a pretty established uh, you know, risk factor for nephrotoxicity with vancomycin is, is what is the beta-lactam that is paired with it. So, is giving immunotherapy earlier in the day going to lead to better survival? I don't know, but this should be easy to confirm. Lots of other centers do this. Centers that, that are not in Georgia, in the southern, southeastern United States. What about Boston Medical Center, right? What about places in Detroit on the western edge of the eastern time zone where it gets dark at like 4 o'clock in the winter? We could see differences there. Lots of other places could do this. I, I hear that MD Anderson's Cancer Center from a patient uh, who, who I knew who went there that their cancer center, their clinic is open until 2 a.m. So certainly you could have people that are well after dark getting their immunotherapy uh, and to look at folks who get it earlier in the day. And these drugs have been around long enough that we should be able to get pretty good sample sizes in either arm uh, that even if you don't do propensity scoring, with large enough sample sizes, your baseline demographics are probably going to be close to evening out that we can see a signal if everybody does something like this. Here's the other thing to think about this. Um, there, in my opinion, there is this is stronger data to give you know immunotherapy before 4:30 p.m. than the data to give Claritin or Loratadine to prevent bone pain with Pegfulgrastim. Now. The data to give antihistamines to decrease or mitigate pegfulgrastin bone bone pain is you know it's not uh, it's not strong 
it's not positive, it's mostly anecdotal, but what is the risk of loratadine? There's very little risk of loratadine. What is the risk of, of preferentially slotting people getting immune checkpoint inhibitors during the daytime versus after, after the evening? N nothing health-related that would prevent us from doing that. Really interesting. Uh, don't know if it's real, but it, you can't just not talk, you can't not talk about this. It's pretty fascinating stuff. So, so kudos to the folks uh, at Emory for publishing this. Uh, certainly worth talking about, and very simple, easy. No, maybe not simple or easy, but there is certainly a methods roadmap to use for you and the folks at your center looking to do something similar with this. Um, not just in melanoma, but in all the other diseases where we use immune checkpoint inhibitors. Uh, Another thing to point out here is um, there was probably a higher proportion of patients here receiving dual uh, or combination immune checkpoint inhibitor. About half the patients received IPI plus a PD-1. Um, and, and so uh, it, the things may be different in a population that was just Nevo uh, or Pembro. And I'm looking back now. I don't think they uh, – yeah, they did look at that. And it does look like there was a, a bit of a, this, a signal that dual immune checkpoint inhibitors um, – uh, there was a bit of a signal there versus versus other. So something else to look out, something interesting to talk about. And uh, and hopefully um, uh, next week there'll be a pod. Next week is Thanksgiving. We'll see if I get my hard drive back. Uh, until I talk to you again, remember, uh, doses matter. Uh, you can follow me on uh, on Instagram and, and Twitter, uh, the podcast at OncoFarmPod, and follow me on Twitter at FarmDeepNip. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter.